figure your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Excellent singing. The last chorus sums up why we're here. Because of what Christ did on the cross, just a phenomenal thought that we are no longer his enemies. We deserve to be his enemies. Our lifestyle demands that we're his enemies. But because of what Jesus Christ did, we are his family. It's good, as I said earlier, it's good to be back here. I I, um, had the opportunity the last two Sundays while we were in Romania to speak in two separate gypsy villages. And so um, if I hesitate in my talking, it's because I'm waiting for the translator to finish my thought. Um, because I got used to preaching with the translator, so that's a little different, but I will try not to do that. Um, It is great to be here. Just give you a little review of where we've been. This is for my sake as well as it is for yours. Um, Beginning the beginning of the year, we began going through uh, our theme, which is uh, our theme for this year is um, serve, uh, serve others. And so we talked about what does that mean. We talked about the one another passages. We went through serving uh, one another, and so we went through the different one another passages of Scripture, and then a number of weeks ago we began looking at what does it mean to serve the church, and we have been going through this book, and if you're visiting with us, this is a book we've been going through for a number of weeks now on, on I will, what does that mean, that is nine outward characteristics, uh, or out, nine characteristics of an outward focused Christian, someone who is serving faithfully, and we're going to wrap it up uh, today. Um, and uh, I'm having some issues here getting this screen going, so you might have to help me out there. There we go. Uh, nine traits. We looked at those previous eight. Today we're going to look at one final one, and that is, um, if you'll click to the next one, I will make a difference. Several years ago, um, back when, some of you remember this, I have to be honest, I don't remember this in my lifetime. I know it was in my lifetime, but there was the show called The Merv Griffin Show. How many of you remember that? Okay, I don't. So there you go. That tells you where, where I'm at. But uh, it was a talk show that was on, and, and one day on the talk show, Merv had a, had a guest who was a bodybuilder. Um, he got up in front, and uh, he simply would step forward, and he would flex his muscles, and he would show how powerful he was, and, and uh, the audience would cheer, and they would, they would get all excited. And, and so after he did that, Merv looked at him and said, why do you develop those particular muscles? The bodybuilder didn't answer. He just stood up again and flexed his muscles. I would do it, but, uh, you know. The audience applauded again. I mean, he had muscles everywhere on his body, and so they thought it was just the greatest thing. And Merv again asked, Why do you use, what do you use all those muscles for? Again, the muscular specimen flexed his biceps, his triceps, every sept in his body just ripped. Merv again stopped and said this, but I have one last question. What do you use those muscles for? There was a moment of confused embarrassment as the bodybuilder just sat down in bewilderment. He didn't have an answer other than to display his frame for the world to see. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You're going to have to click to the next one there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, We, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize that you've been created by Christ to make a difference? How do I make a difference? How do I not be like that bodybuilder, but how do I use my muscles, my spiritual talents, my spiritual muscles in a way that God has given me for His glory? And that is the question that we're going to talk about this morning. How do I make a difference? That's the question Jesus is addressing here. And I have two points that we want to look at this morning. You can follow along in your notes. Uh, but two things we want to look at. The first one that I want to look at is that uh, the first thing I want you to notice is the attitude of a difference maker. And Jesus addresses that here with his disciples. And I'll read, and you can follow along as I read, starting in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. And it says, And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want, to do, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's a little demanding, isn't it? And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And he said to them, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left hand, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. For, you, for are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them to him, them to him and said to them, uh, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have to look into your word. And Lord, I'm not able to express this with my own abilities. And so Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit guide me this morning. Lord, as we as a church desire to grow and to serve the world around us that is hurting, that needs the gospel, I pray you help us to understand that we, each, every person in this room has the opportunity, has the ability given to them by you, has the predestined plan to be a difference maker. Lord, I pray you help us not to be comfortable with where we're at. Lord, help us as we look into this, this passage this morning and these passages we look at that we'll understand what it means to make a difference for you. We ask this in your name. Amen. As I said this morning, I want to look at two simple points, and Alex, you're going to have to continue to do that for me. The first one is, what is the attitude of a difference maker? Disciples came, and it's James and John, but I believe all of them had the same mindset, and that was they wanted to be important. They wanted to be valuable. That is the mindset of many of us today. They, they, they wanted to be seen as something special, but I think they misunderstood what that meant. They felt that in order to make a difference, they felt that in order to be valuable, it was about who they were. 
But Christ was telling them that wasn't the case. If only they could be important. If only they could have positions of power. If only they could be specially talented. But then they could be useful to God. Then it could be something God could use. But yet God taught them it isn't who you are. It isn't how powerful you are. It's, it's how open you are to serve. In fact, God deliberately chose the powerful... Uh, excuse me. God deliberately chose those that aren't powerful to do His will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse 27 and 29 through 29 tells us that. We read a verse similar to this in this chapter earlier, but it says there, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low to, and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Someone compiled a list of, of all uh, of those that God used in Scripture. And let me read you to you. This is astonishing. List of those. Here, here, listen to this. It says, Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Peter was, uh, excuse me, Jesus was too poor. Naomi was a widow. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Paul was an accessory to murder. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip and a bigot. Gideon and Thomas doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. Martha was a worrywart. Samson was a rebel. Noah was a drunk. Moses had a temper. So did Peter, Paul, and well, a lot of other people in scripture. We think sometimes that it's about what we bring to God, and God says, no, what it is about is that you serve. And the disciples came and they said, Jesus, we want to be great. We want to be on your right. We want to be on your left. And Jesus said, no, if you want to be great, serve. People come and they say, I want to be a difference maker in the world. If you want to be a difference maker, give up of yourself and serve. And that is the attitude that we need to have. Because here's one thing, all these individuals that I read, all of them had a willingness to do a task for God. Some, it took a lot of convincing. Some did it in their own way. Some grumbled like Jonah as they were doing. But they served God. As far as God's concerned, being a servant is far more important than being a superstar. Far more important than being powerful. Far more important than being talented. And so, when Jesus chose his disciples, they were not powerful men. They were not rich men. They were not talented men. In fact, Scripture says that they were defined as not even smart men. That does not mean God won't use rich and talented and smart people. But God doesn't use them because they're rich, talented, and smart people. God uses them because they're servants. What I want to look at first this morning is that God demands from us an attitude of humility. God demands for us an attitude of service. And if you are going to be a difference maker in this world, you are going to have the attitude of a servant. Secondly, though, I want to notice that if you are going to be a difference maker... You need to have the actions of a difference maker. Take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 14. The first point was uh, quicker. This one will take us longer to develop. Numbers chapter 14. What are the actions of a difference maker? I want to read this, just a portion. We're going to look back at different areas talking about 
uh, Caleb's life, but we want to read just this little portion first. It says in Numbers chapter 14, look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to test these ten times, and have not, not obeyed my voice, shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. Notice verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. What set Caleb apart as different from the rest? Caleb was seen as a leader. He was. He was clearly a leader. How do we know that? Because God chose him as one of the twelve that would go into the promised land and spy out the land. So he was one that God trusted as a leader. If you remember at this point, the people of Israel had been wandering around the wilderness for for quite some time, and they had uh, been waiting for God to lead them, and God had been doing miraculous things. They, and, and yet, and through all of that, they complained constantly. They would go to God and say, God, uh, we don't have enough food, so God would give them manna. We don't have any water, so God would produce water of a rock. They complained over and over and over again. And God, at times, got fed up with it. God gave them the commandments, and what happened while he was giving the commandments, they turned their back on God and created a, uh, an idol of gold to worship instead of God. And yet, God continued to be faithful to them. And it finally came time as they were approaching the promised land that God assembled together uh, a plan. And God led them to this point, and God was preparing them to scout out the land. And so Moses organized the people, and he, he took the twelve tribes, and he took one individual from each tribe, and he said to them, go and, and scout out the land. And they went into the land, and they came back with the report. And if you look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, we see the report that they gave. And it says, starting in verse 25, and at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. In Israel, in the wilderness of uh, Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They come and they said, look at what we got. I mean, this land was incredible. God had been promising them this for quite some time, but he said, they said, this land is incredible. Look at the fruit we bought, brought back. And he goes on and says in verse 27, and, they, and they, they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. They come and they said, yes, everything God told us is true, that this land is a beautiful land, this land is a prosperous land, this land is a land that is perfect for us. Then read on, verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. And the spies came and they gave their report, and they complained. You know, God, yes, it's a beautiful land, but it's full of giants. It's full of cities that are much too strong for us to attack. It's full of people after people after people. And there's no way that we can, can defeat these people. But Caleb comes along in verse 30. Notice what Caleb says. 
And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. We see very clearly here that Caleb was a difference maker, but what set Caleb apart from the rest? What was it that made him different? What actions made him a difference maker? If you look back at Numbers chapter 24, God in his own words tells us in Numbers 24, or excuse me, Numbers 14, 24, it says there, but my servant, these are the words of God, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully. We see God tells us what made Caleb a difference maker, and I think these are the same traits that can make you and I a difference maker. First of all, the first one is that a difference maker commits to God's purpose. It says in that passage, but my servant Caleb, because he had different spirit. He stood out as different because he served the Lord. We said the attitude of the difference maker is one who serves, but Caleb did it. He did, did not have his own agenda. You know how many people in churches today have their own agenda? I think it's, it's incredible how much of us do that. He didn't have his own agenda. I find that often we serve God only if it meets our timing and our plan. We serve God if it fits into our plans. All of the spies came and they had their own agenda, minus Joshua and Caleb, and they went into the land with their mindset fully intact, and they went into the land and they saw the problems, not the promise that God had given them. They saw the man-made obstacles. They saw the barriers, not the blessings. And they did not see the beauty of the land, but instead they saw the burden of the people. But Caleb was different. Because Caleb did not look uh, at, the, at what was around him. Caleb looked at his God and said, said, Hey, we can do this. This is no problem. This is what God has destined us to do. We've been wandering around for 40 years to give because God had a land set for us and yet we're sitting back and doing nothing because he understood that God had a purpose. Are you committed to God's purpose? Remember the verse that we looked at a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. What does it say? It says we are his workmanship. Do you understand that God created you with a purpose to walk in Him? God created you with a work to do. God created you with a, with a, uh, a predestined plan. I love another way that a, a different translation puts this, and it says this, that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's um, perfect designed specimen for His glory. We are what God has made. Did you know that you're a masterpiece by, created by God? So many times we say, well, I'm not talented enough to serve God, or I, I don't have the ability to serve God, or, or I don't, I, I just, it's not me. And God says, no, wait a second. You're my masterpiece. And I didn't create you just to sit around and do nothing. I created you to be a difference maker. And Caleb stood up and said, I'm going to commit to God's purpose. And God said, I'm going to do this. And, and I, do you think that Caleb for one minute didn't look and see the incredible obstacles in his way? I believe he did. But yet it didn't stop him. 
God loves you. And God has created you and He loves you unconditionally and He has a purpose for your life. And this passage talks about it. It says, what is His purpose? His purpose is for you to do good works that glorify Him. And what's amazing is these good works were planned long before you were born. I've said this many times, but when I was a young man, I had no destination in mind of myself ever being a pastor. None. Zero. But God knew it. God knew it thousands of years ago. And you know how humbling that is? It's not something that I stood up one day and said, hey, this is me because I've got everything I need to do this. No, one day God said, hey, I'm going to do this for you. God has created us to do His good works. That's God's agenda. His purpose does not uh, go wrong. But here's the thing. His purpose does not include those things that we do just to please others. His purpose does not include those things we do just to earn God's approval. This is a song we sang a moment ago. There's nothing uh, that I can do there's no work, there's no act, there's no words that I can say that are going to allow me to be approved in God's eyes without the work of Jesus Christ. And Caleb was a difference maker because he committed to God's purpose. God's plan is better than yours. God's plan is better than anything that you can do, but God gives you a choice. And the choice is this, are you going to follow your own agenda or are you going to do His plan. Consider this, if we choose God's plan, the Bible says we will produce much fruit, not because of our cleverness or not because of our ability, but because we have faith and connection with God. If you look at uh, the ver- next verse on the screen there, it says uh, there in John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much Then notice what it says, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me you can do nothing. Yeah, how often do we live in our own agenda? How often do we try to succeed? We might work hard to succeed in relationships. We might work hard to succeed in careers or ministry. And we may even see results. But often that hard work only frustrates us, stresses us out, and exhausts us. Maybe that's because we're striving in our own strength. We're striving in our own way. We're doing our own agenda and we're leaving Jesus out of the equation because what does Jesus say? How much fruit can we produce without Him? Nothing. You know, Caleb understood that. Caleb understood that God had given him a purpose and, you know, we can strive to all these other things. They'd seen it for 40 years. For 40 years, they had strived to do their own thing and every single time they failed. And Caleb said, hey, for once, why don't we do what God's purpose is? God has a good purpose for your life. He wants to help you follow that purpose. But first, you must choose to follow His agenda, not your own. You must choose to trust in His strength, not your own ability. Only then will you produce fruit that is meaningful. Only then will you be a difference maker. 
second thing we want to notice is this. Not only is a difference maker commit to God's purpose, but secondly, a difference maker completes God's plan. If you notice back in Numbers chapter 14, and notice verse 24 again, it says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, because he had a different mindset. And then notice next, though, there's another phrase that's used about him. And by the way, we'll look at another passage of Scripture. This phrase is used a lot about Caleb. And has followed me fully. Not only did Caleb know the purpose and plan for God, it wasn't just enough that he said, yes, this, I know this is God's destiny for me. I know this is God's plan for us. But not only that, but he fully followed through on the plan and purpose of God. You know, surrendering fully to the plan of God is not just a verbal statement. It's not just something that we say, but it is something that we follow through on our commitment to completion. To surrender means to relinquish possession or control to another. To submit to the power, the authority, and control of another. The entire New Testament scriptures show us that Jesus surrenders his rights, his prerogatives, to the will and plan of his Father. But you know what? It wasn't just enough that Jesus came to earth. He had to complete the plan, and that is why on the cross, Jesus was able to say what? It is finished. You know, Caleb wasn't just enough to say, yes, let's do it, but the Bible says that he fully followed Christ. Out of that surrender comes a willingness to sacrifice for God's plan no matter what happens. Surrender then is a pathway to maturity. Surrender then is a pathway to obedience. Caleb understood that. Caleb just wasn't all about words. Caleb said, I am willing to step out. Do you think, as I said a moment ago, do you think Caleb wasn't aware of the obstacles? Yet somehow he didn't see that. Because he understood that surrender means, it's not just I say I'm going to do it, but surrender means I fully follow. And surrendering to God's agenda in and through us requires a clear understanding of what he wants us to do and it's obedience. See, here's the thing. Most people's list of what they consider important includes things like personal peace, happiness, comfort, prosperity, security, friends, good health, fulfilling experiences, and reaching our full potential. Those are the type of things that if we ask, what, is it, what do you consider important in life? I guarantee you those often come on the top of the list. And that list shows us our obvious need of surrendering to God. Because many times, those things on the list, the prosperity, the happiness, the comfort, completely conflict and ignore God's plan. It wasn't that Caleb didn't want safety. It wasn't that Caleb didn't want comfort. But what Caleb wanted was to surrender to the plan of God and allow God to provide those things. Those are not the things that should be driving us. If, you are, if someone was to ask you, what is, what is a goal for you in life? And if you to say, prosperity, success, happiness, you've missed it. You've missed it. 
You've missed God's plan for our life. Charging into a land of giants did not seem to be wise. However, Caleb knew it was the only way that they were going to succeed as a people group. You know, sometimes we do things that don't make sense. I am thankful for my wife. And one of the things I'm thankful for is she gets this. We went to Romania, and I know she, as a mom, did not want to send our son. Because we want our kids safe. And there's that fear of, of what could happen or what potentially could happen, but, but we knew that even though that was the case, that God, it was exactly what God wanted for my son and for me. And he gave us safety. He gave us prosperity. He gave us fulfillment. You know, surrender to the plan and purpose of God produces obedience in our life. It is a pure faith of knowing that the only way I'm going to succeed is if I follow through with God's plan. So we obey even if it doesn't make any sense at all. We obey. A difference maker surrenders to the obedience, in obedience to the plan of God. Finally, the last thing I want you to notice is a difference maker clings to God's promises. We see here that Caleb clung to the promises of God. We actually see that twice in his life, and I want to look at those, but first I want you to notice this story, and this is here in Hebrews, and, and uh, uh, all the others had forgot the promise of God. If you look in the verse there in Exodus, <coughs> excuse me, in Exodus it tells us this is where God comes to Moses, and he says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to bring you into land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. God had told them, I'm going to take you in a land, and this is going to be the perfect land for you, and you're going to dwell in that land. And so uh, that, that was the promise God had made to them many years ago, but yet somehow most of the spies had forgotten all about that. Most of the people had forgotten all about that. They, God knew there was obstacles. It wasn't when God made this statement. He didn't, he didn't know about the obstacles that were going to come the way. He didn't know about the people in the land. He didn't know about the trials they were going to have. He knew all of those things that the spies mentioned, but he had a plan and a purpose, and only Caleb was ready to claim the promise of God. Only Caleb. Because of the unbelief and the promises and because of the disobedience of the plan, God did not allow those other spies, Caleb and Joshua, the exception. God did not allow the others to enter the promised land. He said that only Caleb would be, and we just read that a moment ago. Imagine for a moment if Caleb had just been like everyone else. If Caleb had just said, yeah, you're right, guys. I mean, it is a beautiful land. There's, there's huge fruit. There's, it flows with milk and honey, and there's, there's prosperity in the land. But you're right, guys. There's, there's a lot of large armies. There's a lot of large cities. There's a lot of fortified buildings, and there's no way that we can ever attack them. There's no way we can ever take them over than what would have happened. But Caleb was a difference maker. Caleb stood up when no one else would. And because of that, God promised his, him an inheritance. And many years later, Caleb came back to Joshua. If you'll take your Bibles, <coughs> excuse me, and look at Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. 
because of the promise that God had made. He says to him, I will give you land. We saw that in Numbers chapter 14. In Joshua chapter 14, look at verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I fully or wholly, excuse me, followed the Lord my God. See that phrase again. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you wholly followed the Lord my God. So we come down to verse 13 after he tells, reminds Joshua of this. Then Joshua says in verse 13, Joshua blessed him and and he gave, him, he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephna, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb. Notice what it says at the end of the verse, because he wholly followed the Lord God. God promised him. He said, one day you will come into a land and I will give you this land. And you notice how Caleb held on to that promise. If you read Scripture, you'll see this was 45 years later. He didn't back down. He didn't forget what God had said. He held on to it. God promises us throughout Scripture that if we will follow Him, then He will bless us. It may be through rocky waters. It may be that the blessing will not happen immediately. And I think too many Christians, they say, oh, I want to be a difference maker. And, they, and they, they, they make a commitment to it. And maybe they even start to obey a little bit. But then, and then, then they begin to forget the promises of God. They begin to forget what God has said will happen. They begin to forget the fact that one day God says we will stand in heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done. They forget that. We begin to turn our back on God. Or maybe we begin to get stagnant in our relationship with Him. We see here, Caleb didn't do that. And in order for this church, in order for First Baptist Church to be different, to be a church that's known for its passion for the Word of God, to be a church that's known for its gospel uh, uh, declaration to the world around us, then we need to be a people that are a church that is filled with difference makers. A people that are filled with a church that says, I, I, I believe and I commit to the plan of God. I, I follow through with the command of God. And, and I, I believe in the promises of God. You know, what's sad is some of you sitting here right now say, it's not for me. Difference makers are other people. I'm not a difference maker. That's someone else. And you know what I have to say to that? I don't buy that. God calls all of us to be different. As we see it, saw in Ephesians, we put it on the screen twice, and a third time, what does Ephesians tell us? It says, for we are His workmanship. That God created us to be His masterpiece, to go out and to serve Him, to be people who stand up and are different. I want to finish 
in the last few moments with a testimony of our trip to Romania. Um, what's really, really cool for me is I had an opportunity to go on, on this trip eight years ago um, and to experience going back to the same location is really uh, a neat thing for me because I, I, I'm able to uh, interact with some of the same people. Um, I'm able to observe the village. If you're not familiar with it, let me just give you a quick synopsis of the ministry there. About 16 to 18 years ago, um, Tim and Sandy Fink were called by God to go to Romania. I'm going to move to this. They were called by God to go to Romania, and when they got to Romania, they were immediately uh, inundated into the gypsy culture, and uh, they began serving in a, in a village called Osherhe. Uh, Osherhe is a very poor Poor, poor village. I saw lives change when I was there eight years ago. The work was just really beginning to grow. There was, there was men and women who were starting to become more faithful. But being back eight years later, what I observed was something interesting. I saw how the gospel has changed lives. The changes in the village were obvious to me. It was, it was incredible. Some of you were able to go eight years ago, and so I'd love to sit down with you and tell you how, how different it was to see uh, the changes. They, they, even though they were impoverished village, what we saw was they, they were taking better care of themselves. They were taking better care of their homes. I remember eight years ago going and seeing most of the house, and I should have I didn't have time to do this, but I should have showed you a now and then perspective of most of the houses were just were, were dirt roofs, they were dirt floors, and, and it just they, they were not well uh, made. And a lot of these houses in the course of eight years, they've, they've put a lot of effort in. And you say, well, why is that important? Because for the first time, they begin to understand the principle of stewardship and serving God with the things that you have. They're hardworking. Many years, when we were there eight years ago, most of them did not have jobs. Um, in fact, very few of them have jobs. It was interesting as we were there every day. We were there helping and serving, and uh, every morning a bus would pull up, and a load of people would hop on the bus to go to their jobs. We did a kids program, and I remember eight years ago, uh, the kids were unruly. That's the uh, nice way of putting it. I remember we were told we uh, were doing a craft eight years ago, and we were told um, to give a kid a crayon, but make sure that you got it back before you gave him another because most of them would steal the crayons or in some cases eat the crayon. And this time we were able to take a cup of crayons and give them to them, and they would give it back. You say, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, it was. It's obvious, as I observed, that the gospel had changed lives. But here's where this enters in the story, or the illustration of make, being a difference maker. We went to three different villages while we were there. Two of the villages I had been to before. We went to a village called Keriu, and we went to another one called uh, Lunshwara. Some of you saw the video. We had to, in order to get to Unshwar, we had to we had to drive on a river, like literally, like our vehicle was on the river. That was kind of different. 
But when we went to these other two villages, I noticed something that the village of Osherhay stood out as being different. The kids were better behaved, the people responded better, the attendance was greater. And I began asking myself, what made Osherhay different from these other two? What made them different? And the difference was, was this. And that's why I put this picture on the screen. If you look in the picture, obviously you notice you know, my ugly mug up there. But, uh, and if you see the, uh, the one, two people over for me, that's Tim Fink, our missionary. But the one in the middle between the two of us is a man by the name of Pastor Yosef. Pastor Yosef was, um, before Tim uh, came to the field, Pastor Yosef was a typical unsaved gypsy man. He was in and out of jail. He was drunk. He was a thief. He was uh, brutal to his wife. Normal gypsy man. But by the power of God, his life was changed. When we were there eight years ago, he was a deacon and he was beginning the process of serving God faithfully. And, and now today he is the pastor of the church and the church is growing because of him. And what I saw was really was a difference maker and it was a rebuke to me because what I saw was a man who was willing to stand up and make a difference in his village. He was willing to understand the plan of God. There was men in other villages, but those men were not standing up in the same way this man was. And he was willing to be alone. He was willing to be a Caleb. He was willing to be one who understood the promises of God. He clung to them. And he was willing to make a difference. i got to tell you, he can pastor in a way I can't. Um, I, one day we were observing in the kids' program, a couple of the kids were acting up, and he walked over and spanked them on the bottom. They were not his kids. Um, I, I don't do that, just so you know. Um, and, uh, but he was able to pastor in a way I can't. But still, what I saw, and I don't say that to an exalted man, what I say that to say is that any one of us could do the same. What makes him different is because he obeyed. What makes you and I different if we're willing to stand up and do the plan of God is if we obey. We need more men like Caleb. We need more men like Yosef in our church. We need more women that were willing to be Caleb-like individuals. We need more teenagers and 20-somethings that are willing to be more Caleb-like individuals and and Yosef-like individuals. We need kids who are are growing and saying, that's what I want to be, not because we're exalting individuals, but because we're pursuing God. If we do that, we'll see changes in our church, in our community, in our world. Too many of us are willing to be like the other ten spies. I can't get up and serve because people will make fun of me. I, I can't get up and serve. I got too much going on in my own life. I, I can't get up and serve. I have to you know, get an extra job so I can pay for the boats and vacation or whatever else. Caleb said, yeah, I see the obstacles. But I don't care because my God is good. What do you say? Let's pray.
God, I am truly privileged and honored to be able to stand in this pulpit and to tell people about a man that you honored named Caleb. Lord, we don't really see a lot about Caleb in Scripture. It's minimal. Yet you saw the need to put his story in here because you wanted to show us the character traits that this man had that set him apart. Lord, there were many people in that nation of Israel that could have been a Caleb, but yet there was only one who was willing to be that. Lord, I pray that there will be many Caleb's in this auditorium. Lord, if there's people here who have not accepted you as their Savior, they, they, they do not have the assurance of the promises that we hold to. Lord, if, I pray that you will work in their hearts and convict them of that. Lord, if there's people here who have, are, are just allowing themselves to be comfortable with being one of the other spies, Lord, I pray that you help them to see beyond the obstacles and see the purpose and the plan that you have for us, that you created us to be your masterpiece. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. And Lord, as we uh, have this invitation time, I pray that you'll work in hearts and lives here. We ask this in your name. Amen.